Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. And I've had other pastors ask that because they think it's a strategy on how to grow their church. And, it's, and, I'm not, and, and it couldn't be anything further from that. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's, and it's, they're like, you know, why, why are people coming? It's, it's not because of my personality. <laughs> it's not because of my, my loving disposition all the time. I know that. <laughs> I'm actually in classes right now, uh, working on a master's degree uh, in pastoral ministry, and um, they were talking, and one of the conversations we had this week was, was the different roles of a minister and the different types of ministers, and I thought, man, I, I'm, I'm like, I know I'm lacking in some areas, and I know the Lord's gifted me in some others, but the Lord's given us people that's really good in the areas I'm lacking, and I'm thankful now, what I've, and I, I will get to the point eventually, what, what, what's been interesting, and, and you can open, I'm going to eventually hit Song of Songs, chapter 2, but I actually want to start with this first verse out of Jeremiah, and I shared this uh, in my excitedness um, Wednesday night at the very end and just talking but in Jeremiah 18, I think there's a really significant verse because th- this is what's fascinating to me is that I look around the room and every person that's part of what God's doing here has went through difficult times. Like, that, what, like what, a, what an advertisement for our church to put outside. If you come to River City, you're going to walk through hell. <laughs> but, but like realistically, and, and now I may be overstating it, but some of y'all have walked through some really hard stuff. You've walked through hard stuff, and then there's been really hard stuff internally that the Lord is doing, like the sweeping out the corners revelation that we've talked a lot about here. Like, like it's been hard. And if it was easy, we'd probably have more people. But because it's hard, I actually, you know, it's easy to pray a prayer to go to heaven like that. I get it. But he also said that narrow is the road. And narrow is the gate. I think we've discovered, we're not there. We've discovered a narrow road. And we're entering in through a narrow gate that cost us everything. It's so worth it. And, and what, I, what I want to do this morning, what I felt of the Lord to do, was give some context to some of the stuff that y'all have went through, April and I have went through, like, well, this hasn't been easy. I want to give some context to that because I actually think it's something that I would be doing a disservice if I didn't articulate. I actually want to give a language to when we go through difficult times. And then I want to put it in, I'd say I, the Lord's going to have us look at it from the perspective of beloved identity, walking in intimacy with the Lord. Because when you go through those hard times, if you don't believe, if you're not absolutely convinced that God loves you, you think he's cruel and vindictive. Or you think that he's walked away from you. 
And, and there couldn't be anything further from the truth, okay? So let's read this verse. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 18, verse 4, and, uh, and, and we'll just kind of go from there. Jeremiah 18, 4 says this. Jeremy, I'm okay from the floor. Okay, thank you. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. I'll read it again because it's really good. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of, pot, of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Okay, so what I believe the language the Lord has been giving me is, is this. That obviously we, we say stuff like it's like, he is the potter, we are the clay. In other words, he shapes us, he forms us, he molds us. I think we all could agree with that. The propensity is like, we like singing that, we just don't like that process. Because <laughs> he makes it in, the, the KJV says he made it again, yet another. <laughs> he made it again, yet another. Whoa. But anyway, the process that I think that many of us have went through is this place of, of the Lord placing us on the potter's wheel. Now, I'm not a potter, and in some of you, I said this the other night, and I've had this image of Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore every time I think of this. It doesn't look anything like that. Ghost. Some of you probably don't, some of you are too religious to see that movie. That's okay. But uh, anyway, potter's wheel. You place it on the, on the wheel, and what's it do? Spins it. And it spins it. For some of us, we've been in this process, and it feels like our whole world is spinning. But what if it's not the world that's spinning? What if it's us being on the wheel spinning? Because this is still. <laughs> now, when he spins us, it's because he loves us. And when he spins us, he reshapes and he remolds us. Now, what's interesting to me, too, is that if on a potter's wheel, if it goes fast enough, the imperfections, they, they fly off. So some of the difficult things that we have experienced has nothing to do with the world around you but has everything to do with what's within us that the Lord desires to take off of us. Be because, now, now think of this, April quoted this verse that, that, that before we were born, he knew us. He knew us deeply, personally, and intimately. He knit us in our mother's womb. He actually, I, I don't understand that other than like, he, I, I don't know if he had his little cross-stitching thing or, his, his, you know, or his little ball of, but he, he made us in our mother's womb. Now, as we grow older, and, and I say as we grow older, as we really walk in a fallen, edemic state, we take on other things that we were never meant to identify with and we were never meant to carry in our life. 
And so the Lord, in his goodness, says, whoa, we place you on this wheel. Now, that process of spinning, it stinks. Like it, it, and, and, and like, when you fight it, it's the most difficult thing in the world. Can I use you for a few minutes? Can I use you for a few minutes? Come on up here. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. Okay. So, now, I want to show you what I believe the actual potter's wheel looks like. Okay? Because there's never a moment that he takes his hand off of you when you're on that wheel. I used to think this. Like, one, it's not Demi Moore and, and Patrick Swayze. But I used to think it was this. Okay? Okay. <laughs> you're going to get dizzy. I used to think it was that. And you see, I would spin and take my hand off. Now, a bad God or a bad father would take his hand off of you in that process. And just say, wherever you spin to, you spin to. Right? But a good father, I actually think, does this. I'm placing you on the wheel. Let me see your hands. Is that tissue in your hand? Is that a snotty tissue? Okay. <laughs> okay. So I want you to go. I actually think it's more like this. And that as he spins, he comes with me. Now, I'm using a lot of illustrations. Now, in this process, here's, here's the danger. And we've actually experienced some of this in our own church. That if we don't embrace that process, it gets really hard. Now, if I'm... If I'm if, if, if the Lord were in this process of being repottered, go ahead and spin around. Okay? Now I want you to stop abruptly. All right. You did, that, I didn't want to fling her across the room. <laughs> now what happens if you take a, a, an item and you spin it really fast and it stops immediately? Poof, it gets launched, right? When it gets launched... When it gets launched, that's when pain and suffering comes. Now, not all pain and suffering, because I think sometimes we do stuff where we actually prolong the process of what the Lord wants to do in our life. We fight it. And so, in the Lord's goodness, he spends us. But there are some times where we try to stop what God's doing. And when we stop what God's doing in our life, it... Now, he promises to never leave or forsake us. I get all of that. But we can, by our own free will, our own volition, we can choose to turn and walk away from him. And how many understand that his ways are better than our ways? His thoughts are better than our thoughts. And so when we disrupt what the Lord is doing, I'm saying you set yourself up for failure. Now, is that why bad stuff's happened to me? I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's not think... Everything around me is falling apart. What if we start looking at these moments and it's like, Lord, what are you trying to do in me right now? What do you want to refine in me right now? What do you want to change? Or how do you want to change the way I view things? You can sit down, sweetheart. What do you want to change in my, my viewpoint? I think if, if we can take that perspective, it changes everything. And then as more people come, more people rearrange their lives to be part of what the Lord's doing, you can say, <laughs> you're in that spinning face. Right. I've, I've been through it. It stunk. <laughs> but 
eventually the Lord stops that or stops the extremeness of it because I think we actually could live our life where we're perpetually spending with him, where he's always refining me, right? Where he's always changing me, shaping me, molding me, except for it's not that I get used to it. I just get comfortable being in the hands of the potter. Now, the only way you can embrace that, the only way you can embrace that (laughs) is if you believe he's good and if you believe he actually loves you. Like, I, I, I'm going to use you guys for just a moment. Is that okay? Like, when you all moved here, it was hard. <laughs> and you went through the ringer. Like, here you were okay. But when, like, you went and you shared last Sunday when you preached how much the Lord did in your heart. If you had given up and quit and moved back to Michigan, like you probably had countless conversations of doing, you wouldn't be where you are right now. You'd be out of ministry. And you wouldn't be able to give a word that you just gave where everyone came forward to receive from the Lord. So, I want to say this. Embrace that. <laughs> like, and, and I'll say this. It's your fault you're experiencing it. <laughs> you're the one that probably prayed, God, whatever you want. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and he took you at your word that you meant it. <laughs> now, I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> it's true. Now, <clears throat> so what does that lend itself to? Well, it, it lends itself to a, a company of people that are always being shaped and molded by God. And, 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 and I'll say this, that if you can always allow the Lord to mold and shape you, that you come out looking more and more like him. And if we can look more like him, we're going to be more enticing to a world that's around us that desperately needs to look like him. Right? Now, Romans 8 says that all of creation is waiting with anticipations for the sons of God to be made manifest. I actually think all the creation is waiting for sons and daughters of God that have said, I'm embracing that process of being refined by the Lord. We could use it in our own Nazarene uh, language, the process of being sanctified, because it's, it's instantaneous, and it's also a process, right? You could say it like that if you wanted to. But for our, our context, if, if we could embrace that, we would actually become what the world wants to see. And, and it's like, well, they don't want to see Christians. Well, they probably don't want to see Christians, but they probably actually want to see Christians that are actually Christians, that live like Christ, that walk like Christ, that talk like Christ, that do the works of Christ. Yeah. All right. So, so I give that. Now I want you to look at Song of Songs too, Because the only way you're going to embrace spinning, the only way you will embrace spinning is if you become so convinced of the way he thinks about you. Again, I, I said this when we started this series a month ago. I don't doubt. 
I don't doubt that you all love God. We, we have more church services. I say like intense revival services than I think any church that I, that, that I know of. And you all come and you all spend countless hours here. Like, like I don't doubt that you love God. But I do doubt that sometimes we really believe that he loves us. And if we could get so convinced of that, it wouldn't matter what was going on in my life that I would actually receive a different perspective. Now, I'm going to step up here for a little bit. I want to do a little more notes for a few minutes. Look, look at, I'm going to read the first four verses and, uh, and we'll, we'll get to where we get to today. 2.1 says, I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me into his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. We'll start with verse 1. I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. This is the Shulamite. This is the bride speaking. I'm the rose of Sharon. I'm the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among the thorns. What would it look like if we became convinced of our potential with God in us? And I'll explain that. What would it look like if we became convinced of the potential that we carry with Christ in us, the hope of glory? It like, like, Christ sent us the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you. Like, like that is the creative potential of the universe is inside of you. And if we could become convinced of that, like I say convinced, like you can't talk me out of that. I believe it would help us win an entire city. Now, she, she says this, that the potential on the rose of Sharon. This is the bride saying this. This is right after he's saying, I, I, I'm crazy about you. I love you. You look at chapter one. She's like, I'm black. I'm swarthy. She's like, I'm, I'm marred. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're the most beautiful among all the maidens. And so he's, he's, the bridegroom is trying to convince her of how he thinks and feels. And, and Gracie, whenever you're done, you can get up, sweetheart. But, but, but he, he says this to her, and then she's actually starting to become convinced of what he thinks of her. She says, I'm the rose of Sharon. So what's the rose of Sharon? Sharon, in the early days, I'm going to read this. Sharon, in the early days of the Israelite kingdoms, was an area that lied near the shores of the Mediterranean on, 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 I believe, the north side. And it had been an unproductive area of land. And so here's Sharon. It's like this place that nothing grows, nothing lives. And it was actually very, very swampy, very marshy, if you will. And so whenever armies would go, if Sharon was in the way, armies would actually travel around Sharon because it was so desolate and it was so empty and it was actually a hazard to go through. She says, I'm the rose of Sharon. Why, why would she identify as being a rose from a place that you could not go to, that did not bring life, that actually represented death, loss, and destruction. Well, by the time that this is being written, Sharon had been transformed by man, actually. They had, if you will, and this isn't a political term, but they had drained the swamp. 
And when they drain the swamp, all the nutrients settled to the ground. And it became the most fertile area within the region. And so a place where nothing grew, where people avoided, where armies avoided, now became the place where the most beautiful and most green and most luxuriant things began to grow. <coughs> she understood, I believe this, I believe the bride understood, <coughs> excuse me, she understood that she had come from a place where she was not fruitful. But she's beginning to believe that she is fruitful. What does that mean? It, it means this. Some of us need to actually believe that the Lord can use us. Some of us need to believe that like, like, like your resume, if you will, not your job resume, but your life's resume, the things that you did when you were 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years old, the things that you thought, the things that you did that you thought there's no coming back from, we need to become convinced that those things no longer define us, but actually what defines us is I am my beloved and, and, and I belong to my beloved and my beloved is mine. We need to become convinced of the fact that, that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory where there was death, loss, and destruction, a garden now springs forth, right? Where I was dry and where I was barren, John 7, 38 says that rivers of living water begin to flow from my womb. And so you could just start saying over your life, I'm the rose of Sharon. I'm the rose of Sharon. The thing that armies used to avoid, now they come to, right? The thing where nothing used to grow, now it's always fruitful, right? There's a picture of Psalm 1, which says that they will be like trees uh, uh, planted by streams of water which yield fruit in its season and, and their leaf never withers and everything that they do prospers, right? Like you could begin to believe that because there's a transformative power that comes upon us when we actually believe that we have him inside of us. Like I look in this room and, and we're, we're a small church. But man, when I look around this room, this is why I got really messed up thinking on this past weekend. My look around this room when I was picturing y'all's faces. I see the potential of heaven. And I see the potential to actually bring forth change in the middle of a city that's run down, that drugs are rampant, that gang violence is increasing, right? I see the potential of heaven inside this room. I look on our kids. <laughs> Bob gave a word about fire, by the way, and, and I was like, like if you, the Bible's weird, and sometimes people who are used by God say and do weird things. Phineas Brzee, the church of Nazarene's founder, when he got sanctified and filled with the Spirit, he looked to the sky and he saw a glowing orb and he opened his mouth and he swallowed a ball of fire. <laughs> I was thinking that when you were sharing that this morning. I thought, well, he's pretty good stock. I guess I'm okay coming from him, right? <laughs> I look around this room and I saw our kids and I thought, man, the 
Those are the next generations, Charles Finney's, right? Those are next generations, Phineas Brzee's. Those are the next generations, Emma Eirich, which was a church planter in the Church of Nazarene. Those are next generations, Catherine Coleman's, when we see these kids in here. And so we have all this potential inside the room. And I just want to convince you of that. Like, well, I've never done anything great. That's okay. Believe you can and believe you will. It's really good. You need to become convinced of our value. She says, all right, so I'm the Rose of Sharon, and I'm the Lily of the Valleys. (laughs) What does that mean? Lily means, Lily is flower. Lily means pure. Lily means passion. And Lily actually means rebirth is what that translates as. And she says, I'm the pure, I'm the flower, I'm the passion, I'm the rebirth, if you will, among the thorns. Now, what does among the thorns mean? Among the thorns means the briars and the bristles, right? It it means coming from an uncultivated land. This is what messed me up looking at this. Briars translates as briars, but it also translates as... as, uh, as, what do you call it? Like when you put the, the ring on the cow, a nose ring, I guess. If you, what, what it does is, is she's saying, I'm coming from a place, a ring. I'm coming from a place where the animals were domesticated. And she's saying, in this place where everything's domesticated, I'm the one that's not domesticated. Wow. Where this thing where everything's tainted by a spirit of religion, I'm the one that's not tainted by a spirit of religion. Where this, and, and so she says this. And it also means this. It means a place that's been conquered by a king. (laughs) She's saying, I, I am the place that's been conquered by a king. That makes me want to run through a wall. Come on. (laughs) What would it look like if we started to say, you know what? I've been conquered by a king. I have been conquered by a king. My dreams, my hopes, my aspirations went out the door. But when I did that, he actually began to give me new dreams and hopes and aspirations. I have been conquered by him, and I'm continuing to be conquered by him. And even though, and, and I think here's how you could look at prophetically, like, like even though, even though I've been conquered by the king, and even though I'm being conquered at present tense by him, I'm still surrounded by thorns. I'm still surrounded by this domesticated spirit where we have to be prim and proper. I'm still surrounded by these things that when they touch you, they hurt you. When they touch you, they cut you. But you know what? I'm a lily among all of that. I've been reborn. I've been born again, if you will. I've been birthed again. I am pure, which is another word, what it means, a lily, which means that in a world that's marred by sin, I'm not marred by sin because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? I've been cleansed by his blood. I am spotless. I am blameless. So when he looks at me, he doesn't see my past mistakes. He actually sees someone that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus because Hebrews says that Jesus is the mediator between us and God. So when God looks at us, it's like the lens that he looks at us, he looks at through the blood of Jesus. Therefore, when he sees me, he sees Christ that's in me. He doesn't see Michael, the guy that struggles with feelings of insecurity. He doesn't see Michael, the person that gets angry. He doesn't see Michael, the person that used to wrestle with addiction and love. He sees his son. 
And if we could get convinced of what he thinks about us, it would change everything. Like I don't like when I look at her kids. I saw Michaela up here dancing, and Katie, Katie got a new streamer. I loved it. It was Rainbow, redeeming the rainbow back too. Praise God. And so, so I saw these kids up here dancing and having a good time in the presence of the Lord, and and I thought, Lord, I hope and pray. And the Lord said, "Why are you hoping and praying? Why don't you just believe?" So He kind of corrected me in that moment that our kids will never struggle with feelings of inadequacy. Like, he's like, why don't you just believe for that, Michael? Like, that was going on while all this is going on this morning. And, and he's like, why don't you believe that they'll never become prodigals? They'll never live as an elder brother that are always in the house of the Lord but never realize everything that's available to them. Like, that's what we're dreaming and hoping and praying for. And not thinking that I've got to do great things for God, that way God loves me. No. Because that's a whole other thing that happens in a church. If I'm not doing this and this and this, I must not be being used. Well, what, that, yes, it is. What, what, if, what, if, what if the greatest thing that we could ever do is become fully convinced that he loves us and us fully love him. And then as we live our life, we walk in that revelation and we actually look different where people actually want that. What about evangelism? Well, I, you know what? Some of us probably shouldn't try to share the gospel with people. And not because you don't know your Bible through and through, but because we're not filled with this perfect love. <laughs> and you're welcome, Internet. I mean, just like seriously, and I don't mean that mean. I mean, I, I just think we need to be so convinced of it because I think it's real, far more effective. Hmm. I got plenty of time. Thank you, Jesus. He's really good because I've worked through a lot more notes than I thought I had time for today. <laughs> Uh, and here's what's amazing is convinced, when you become convinced, you can learn to delight in the Lord. Yes. No matter the circumstance. In this, now I want you, when I read this verse, I want you to view this verse in context of being spun on the potter's wheel. Because when you get disorientated, it's hard to delight in the Lord unless you're fully convinced. Right? No, let, me, let, me, let me read the verse. In his shade, I took delight and sat down. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. Okay. In his shade, <laughs> I sat down and took delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. So what happens is we get on that potter's wheel. And we get spinning. And we think, oh, God must not love me. God must be mad at me. God must be, oh, he, he, I was getting spun real fast today. He must be really mad at me, right? What if it's, I got dizzy there. <laughs> what if he's not a vindictive father that's always looking to point out everything? What if he's not that way? What if he's like this? So, hmm. 
in his shade, I took great delight and sat down. Wolf was like, well, all right, I'm just going to embrace what I'm going through. I'm going to embrace what he's doing in me and through me. It says, I sat down in the shade. Well, I actually think that's, I think that's a picture of this. That's why when she came up and helped me, I wanted to pick someone that was shorter than me. Because when we were holding hands, you were standing in my shadow. <laughs> now, all throughout the word, anytime that his shade or shadow is mentioned, it represents safety, it represents protection, right? It represents peace and comfort. And so here's this picture of us standing in a shade and actually saying, I'm, now that I'm in your shade, I'm going to take a seat in your shade. But it says this, actually, and I'll say this, uh, shade means refreshment as well. So I sat down in a shade and I took great delight. Delight means to covet, to lust strongly, to desire another's possessions. It means the choice. It means pleasing to the eye. Hmm. It means treasure. I think that's a picture, if I can get in the shade, and as I'm being spun, the possessions I'm coveting isn't the stuff that's falling off of me. It's actually about the one who's holding on to me. I want your peace. I want your grace. I want your mercy. And sat down. I, I, I took great delight and sat down. And that's, that's the same word that we have talked about and talked about and talked about. It's Q-A-L in the Hebrew. It's, it's Psalm 4610. It's to be still and know that he's God. It's, it's that same verse that says sink down as if you're sitting. It's that, it's that relaxed posture. And so rather than when he's spinning me going like this, which is what we typically do. I'm freaking out. Everything is falling apart. <laughs> what, what if it's this? <sighs> All right. We'll embrace it. It's that relaxed posture that he desires to give us. And, and the problem is we get so tense and stressed that we hold on for dear life. And the Lord wants us to let go for dear life. <laughs> what if that process lasts a long time? Like, I feel like I've been going through this for almost four years. I just didn't have a language for it. And, and honestly, I was probably too prideful to admit I was going through it. <laughs> Hopefully by now, this can be the least pretentious church you've ever attended in your life where you can admit that you don't have it all figured out. And that's not an excuse to live in sin. I actually think it gives you more grace to live in freedom from sin. Okay? All right. Now, I'll probably, I think I'm going to revisit a lot of this over the upcoming weeks because I think it's such a profound thing. But if you can actually delight, which delight... Again, it's to actually just enjoy the one you're with no matter what you're going through. 
And, and if we can begin to delight, delighting leads to the next verse, <laughs> verse 4. Delighting always leads, you know, there's kids, I'm just going to say it. Delighting always leads to intoxication. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, it says, he's brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Now, I'm going to say this, and it's being recorded, so that's cool. Banquet hall is probably one of the most religious translations in all the Bible. Because they were afraid of what it actually said. Now, I'm not condoning what I'm saying here, because I think it leads to lots of problems. But anyway, the word banquet hall means house of wine. So he took me into his house of wine. Why? So that she can be intoxicated with what's there. What's there? Him. Now, Ephesians 5.18 says this, Do not be drunk by wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this intoxicating love, (laughs) I'm already over the cliff. This intoxicating love, this is becoming so enamored with him that you can't wait to wake up in the morning and spend time with him. This intoxicating love, like, this is, we were, we were telling the kids last night about, like, when we first started dating. And, like, I, I worked at McDonald's and made $5.15 an hour when she was living in Kansas and I was in Ohio. And probably half of my paycheck went to phone cards. I don't know if any of y'all remember what, yeah, some of y'all really remember phone cards where you'd, you'd call in. And, and we would spend hours on the phone. And it was like, I could not wait to talk to her on the phone. Now, there are sometimes we didn't talk, right? It was just like, like you hear each other, you just listen to each other breathe. It's so weird, but you do it. It's like, well, what are you doing? I'm sitting here eating Cheetos, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing it with you. Like it was intoxicating. It was like, I, I could not get enough of it. And even if we ran out of things to say during the day, it didn't matter. We, I just still wanted to hear her. He takes us to his banquet hall, if you will, or his house of wine, so that we become fully enamored with the idea that he's enamored with you. It actually creates a, a love sickness. Yes. Yes. I, I was I was love sick for her. I didn't want to be gone. I still get that way, like when I, I travel and and like I just don't like to be away. Y'all's kinda of going through that right now. <laughs> She's going, oh gosh. Time apart, time together. Time apart, time together. I actually think at the beginning it's a really good thing because it makes you appreciate when you're together all the more. It really does. It creates this longing, this desire. Now he takes you into this place and I, I, won't, I won't teach much longer, but I could go for like three more hours, but... He 
He's brought me into his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. So he takes me into this place. He takes us as his bride into this place where we get fully enamored with him. And banner, it, it, I'm glad these are on the floor. Banner, it really does, it means flag. It means banner. And so he, he takes her into this place and she becomes fully enamored with him. And then she looks up and above her, she sees this banner. She sees this flag. And it has the word love written on it. Now, what's incredible is that this time when an army would go out, they would have the banners that would wave over the army. And the banners that would wave over the army, it would signify who they were. It would signify where they were from. And hopefully it would strike fear in the enemy. It would, it would have like the coat of arms of his middle ages. And that way it identified the family they were from. And he's saying this, that, that now that you delight in me, now I'm going to place my banner over you. And now the way you fight isn't how you fight. Now the way you fight is the way you receive being loved. And so no matter what I'm going through, he has this over top of me. No matter where I'm at, he has this over top of me. No matter who I'm with, he has this over top of me. Now here, we live in a society, in a culture. Like, like we, we were at Kroger's yesterday, and, and they have those little those, uh, 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 gossip magazines, right? That, and what do they do? They're aimed to try and get you to love gossip, but they're also aimed to try to make you feel bad for who you are, and they want to create a certain image image of what beauty looks like. They want to create a certain image of what masculinity looks like, right? They, they speak these things to our kids and to vulnerable people. And then they try to say, well, if you don't do this, or if you don't do that, then you're, you must be worthless. You must be no good. And so it creates another banner over them where it says you're not enough. It creates another banner over you where it says that, that, <laughs> that you're no good, that you're no count. And the enemy would love nothing more than for a, a people to be fully convinced. Like, like I, I think he's fine with people praying a prayer to go to heaven. I think it scares the living daylights out of, them, out of him when they realize what's waving over top of them. Yeah. And if I'm honest, this has been like the hardest thing that I have been learning as a Christian, because it goes against everything I've ever been taught, even before Christian days. You'd be tough, macho, this, that. Well, I think there's a time and a place for it. I think what the world really needs me to be and what my family really needs me to be and what my church really needs me to be is to be tender. I know it's been a whole lot today. <laughs> and some of this is like hitting you and you're like, I'm not sure. It's, it's going to be recorded. It'll be on the Facebook page and it's on the podcast. You should go back and listen to this again. But the Lord wants as a tender people with this over top of them, fully convinced. Not a, I'm a Perkins, but I'm not a Perkins. I'm a pastor, but I'm not a pastor. I'm a husband, but what a, I'm not a husband. I'm a father, but I'm not a father. I am loved. I am loved. 
And if you can get convinced of that, it'll change your whole world. Because then you won't try to perform. You won't. You won't try to perform anymore. Which I think is one of the biggest epidemics in the church anyway. Is trying to... And, and with Jesus, you don't fake it till you make it. With Jesus, you die until he raises you up with him and seats you in heavenly places. It's really easy. It's really easy in this culture, the Christian culture, to act like you've got it all together. Hey, baby. Act like you've got it all together. <laughs> I love it. Act like you got it all together. Act like you got it all figured out. And really, the only thing I'm learning to figure out is I'm loved. So I'm, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray, and, and I think we'll probably be camped out at this for a while. The Lord, in, in 12 years of preaching, the Lord's never told me to preach through an entire book of the Bible. And I've always been hesitant. I was even hesitant when I felt like he led me to do it because I'm like, what if I change my mind? What if I get bored and want to move on? Which is so dumb. <laughs> like, how can we want to move on to something else when he just wants this to become the reality of our life? Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.